morning and welcome into the show. It is Daniel Wortman coming to you live from the Dream Imaginate Sports Studios. It is 8 a.m. on the East Coast, 6 a.m. out in the mountains and all time zones in between and around the world. Thanks for tuning in on this Thursday, October the 10th. Welcome into the show. Yesterday, we had a really good conversation with Sky Eddie Bruce, and we were talking a lot about the parent versus club relationship. Um, it's it's sometimes a very delicate uh, area, a very sensitive area, conversation for clubs and for parents uh, when it when it comes to that. And, and so we were looking at some of that back and forth and, and where can both sides get better. And one of the things that we, we talked about and I think is so important is empathy. Putting yourself in the other's shoes. Uh, m- many times, uh, both sides want the best outcome. They want the best things to happen. Maybe Maybe they're making mistakes. Maybe they're just not you know, getting it done the way that you want, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they're coming from a, a position of ill intent, uh, malice, um, etc. Now that's not to say that that doesn't exist, uh, or, or that people don't have bad experiences, but what it is saying is that, um, you know, people, most of the time mean well they want to do a good job they want to succeed they want to see your kids succeed and and when we look at that relationship and that dynamic one of the things that we we really didn't fully get into is you know what are some possible ideas that can improve and make it better maybe your club has a good club parent relationship and dynamic, but we can always look at ways to get better. Maybe it's not very good. And so maybe there's some, some of these ideas can help your club improving it better. One of the things that I look at when I, when I observe clubs and when I, you know, have conversations with whether it's club executives or, or members of the club, et cetera, and, and get feedback on, what they do and how they do what they do is this notion that, that the, that the, the field, the practice session, the training session is the classroom and, you know, the coach is the teacher and, you know, you wouldn't just walk in every day and sit in on your child's class with a teacher. So, you know, give us space. Well, there's a few aspects to that that I think we need to take into consideration first the classroom if if you're gonna come with that approach then I think I think there's got to be some more explanation of the why behind the what and I think I think there's also got to be some deliverables on the what um, in in this specific example so if if you're if your club comes with this approach with a parent, the why behind the what of, of here's, you know, a training session, treat it like a classroom coach, like a teacher, give us some space. If that is, if that is what you experience with your club, then here's a few things that I think should be taken into consideration with this example. The club should then provide for a parent an idea of the curriculum and content. Give them a sense of comfort and confidence that you are teaching their child something, that they know what's going on. Why is that important? Well, if you're, if you're, treating the the training session like a classroom in the same way those teachers are sending notes home they're sending progress reports they're sending homework and they're and they're uh, uh, letting these parents know hey here's some things your child needs to work on here's some things i need you to help me help your child work on so 
when a soccer club comes at it with that approach, which is, there's nothing wrong with that. It's let's, let's flesh that out fully so we can do it well, right? Do it. Maybe, maybe, maybe one of these ideas helps take what you're doing now and make it better. So in that, scenario where the training session is the classroom then from a club perspective you, you should be trying to provide the parents the resources to support the development of their own child they're going to have more time with that player than any club or club coach will ever have they live with those players they ride in cars with those players they feed those players they're with them the majority of the week, except for that two, three, four, five hours a week that they might be with a club coach, they have a lot more influence over that player than that club coach is going to have. So that coach giving a parent the ability to be an advocate for the club and the coach by arming them with resources is one thing that would help improve that parent club relationship being on the same page. So getting into those scenarios and getting into those situations where the classroom and the training session um, mentality is employed by your club. And again, if it is, that's, that's cool. What are you doing to arm your parents with resources to, to support the development of their own kids. A lot of parents are well-meaning. They want to do right by their kids and they want to help and they're willing to help, but maybe they don't know exactly what to do. And maybe they don't know what you're trying to do. Therefore, they don't know how in the all of that time away from club practice, they don't know exactly what they should be reinforcing with their kids. So that would be the first thing. Arm your parents with resources and and give them, you know, some sense of, you know, progress reports and or, um, you know, curriculum. And by curriculum, I don't mean you have to sit down and write out lesson plans and turn in your lesson plans to parents. Just, you know, we don't have to go like so literal and so overly defined on this. What I'm, what I'm saying is, is give them the general direction and give them some pointers of, hey, here's what we're working on. Here's some things that you could watch this weekend with your kid, right? Like watch this game, watch how this team plays. We're trying to learn the basics of this. That's an example. Another thing with the, the training uh, session being the classroom and, you know, improving the club parent relationship in this scenario is if you, if you want the parents to be involved in your club, you want them to volunteer to help. Figure out a way to communicate that so that it doesn't come across as a stiff arm. A lot of times in an effort to try to create that space for a club session, parents are told, stay in your car, stay away, drop your kids off. We got it from here. And in that approach, I think a lot of times clubs just don't realize what's going on, that that parents are taking this as, okay, you don't want us around. And there is some truth to that. There's no doubt. But what is what is also going on? It's, hey, we need some space to work with the kids and, and, and let them have some time. That's great. So instead of cutting the communication at that point and calling time out, like, hey, drop your kids, leave them. We got it from here. Give the parents some things that they can do. So I mentioned a moment ago, the the whole, give them some, you know, arm them with resources that they can help in the development of their kids. 
That's one thing you could do. Another thing that you you could do is designate an area at your park, at your training facility, where parents can come and, and volunteer and help. So say, hey, you know, when you drop your son or daughter off tonight, um, we're going to have, you know, a place where the parents can come hang out. So maybe you maybe you put up a tent or a portable structure. Maybe maybe you have a clubhouse. And and so you invite the parents in. You know, maybe you create a parents lounge at your park. Um, a place where parents can come and hang out. So they're at the park for those who who have a drive and and it's, you know, to drive back home and come back is maybe too much and so they're they, you know, they just hang out, give them a meaningful hangout um, and start start to involve them. But maybe not being a hovering parent standing over your training session for the whole time, but maybe getting them involved in 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 communicating, building relationships, building community within your club. All of those those aspects of of getting parents involved builds towards lifelong relationships. It builds towards um, meaningful, deeper relationships than transactional relationships. So when you communicate, hey, drop drop your kids off. We'll take it from here. F- see if you can find a way to to get parents involved maybe it's hey tonight while your kids in training there is a coffee shop right around the corner that is going to be open for your club's parents and um only so it's like a vip experience like come in grab you a cup of coffee hang out other parents will be there and then you know come back in in at the end of your, your child's training session and pick them up. That's another thing that you could do. So you, now you're starting to network into the business community and you're starting to work with sponsors and supporters and, and still building community with your parents. But now you're starting to build some, building some relationships in your community, but you, you start to find a way to, to make those things work. The last thing I would say on this specific example of, of the training session being the classroom is back on the club side of the ledger, the clubs need to make sure that you're teaching the game. Here's what I mean by that. Teaching skills, teaching individual technical skills that's fine. I mean, helping a kid, that's like helping a kid learn their ABCs, etc. But you got to teach them to read. Not just their letters and numbers, their technical skills. Teach them to read the tactical skills. You got to teach them the game so that they actually become, you know, thoughtful, intelligent, creative soccer players. Emphasis on soccer players that they know the game, that they learn the game. And every club may have a different playing philosophy. So this has nothing to do with what formation or what your playing philosophy is. If you want to play direct, if you want to play a, more of a, a positional play style, if you want to play a, a possession type style, what, whatever you want to do, it's, that's, that's up to your club. That's up to you. But teach. Teach your players to play. Teach them how to play the game. If your training sessions are not in regularly including game teaching moments, these are areas that you need to go back and maybe take a you know another look at. For example, restarts, throw-ins, free kicks, corner kicks, goal kicks, uh, penalty kicks. Are you addressing the restarts in play tactically, not just throw it in and let's go again, but teaching them tactically how to show, how to dismark, how to, to, how to, how to, how to make the right run on a corner kick. Where's everybody supposed to go? What are their responsibilities? Goal kick, etc. playing out from the back. How are we going to restart the play from our goalkeeper? Those are all, 
game moments. These are all parts of the game, elements of the game. Are we teaching that? What what are we doing to teach? What what is our lesson? What is our purpose? Our principles? And then obviously in the run of play, what are we doing as a team with the ball? What are we doing as a team without the ball? And then how do we break that down individually one by one across the field? Now your club may have a philosophy of playing players all over the place. Your club may have a philosophy of slotting players into specific roles. You ha- your club may have a philosophy of slotting players into specific positions. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter which, which lane you go down in that regard. Teach the game. Teach the game how you see it. Teach the game how you believe it should be played, how you want to see it played. Whatever that is. If it's a more defensive style f- and counterattack, Fine. Teach it so the kids understand exactly how to play. That doesn't mean over-program and create robots, but just teach them how to play. So when you, when you treat the training session like a classroom and you have these moments each week with players Make sure the parents have the, have the resources so that they can help support the development of their players. Provide space and incentive and room for community building to get parents more involved, build deeper relationships, and then lastly, teach the game. Teach players how to play the game so that if they showed up to play and a coach wasn't there, they would be prepared. Our sponsor this half hour is Ducktick Brand, D-U-K-T-I-G Brand.com. If you have not gone yet and placed an order, I don't know what you're waiting for. You should get it done today. Go to ducktickbrand.com and use the promo code DWSHOW to get your next beanie shirt, journal, waterproof paper journal. I'm not kidding. Ducktick is where it's at. Go to ducktickbrand.com and use promo code DWSHOW. We'll be right back after this. into the show we were picking up yesterday from yesterday's show about some of the things that uh, Sky Eddie Bruce who was our guest yesterday we were talking about clubs versus parents and that relationship how can we make it better how can we make it stronger 
and we were looking at one of the um, one of the the things that it's been a trend recently with soccer clubs is treat the training session as if your child was in a classroom and the coach is the teacher. The training session is the classroom and uh, and give us some space and in in ger- in general in theory and principle. Um, that is a is is a good way to think about uh, you know teaching the the kids to play the game. What needs to happen in those moments, though, to to really um, you know leverage that type of mentality and philosophy. We were looking at some things before the break about uh, making sure that parents are armed with the resources so that they can help you away from training session and help their players develop. Uh, when they spend time with them out in the yard or maybe coming up to the park on their own free time. And then, you know, finding ways for parents to get involved, to build community within your club as well. So if parents are not, if you don't want them hovering, try to find an alternative that they, that they can do. Maybe it's, you know, go into a meeting and finding ways to, to volunteer. Maybe there's, you know, some, some cleanup days, maybe there's some events and you need help with planning, whatever, but finding ways for parents to get involved. Um, and, and it could even go so far as to find a, you know, local business, uh, a coffee shop or a restaurant that, you know, could, could occasionally uh, open up for your parents and, and you create kind of a private lounge. If you don't have a clubhouse uh, on site for your parents to hang out that's another way to build community and you know support a local business and then the lastly was looking at making sure that you're teaching the game so that you're using the classroom in a way to teach the game not just go through the motions or um you know run glorified babysitting services uh really teach the game be a teacher in the classroom Um, don't treat it like the last day of school where the kids just watch movies and wait to go home, but like treat it like the, the other days of the school year where the kids are coming in and they're learning, you know, on subjects, math, history, science, English, whatever they're learning in this particular case, soccer, they're really learning the game. So those restarts run of play, et cetera, not just going through the motions, but they're really you feel like when you got done as a coach, you really taught them something that day and the players have learned something that day, which is even more important. So if you walk away from your training sessions and you've only got two a week and you don't feel like your players have really learned something about themselves and about the game and you don't feel like you've really taught them some things, rethink your approach. You know, if, if, if that's going to be your mentality as a club and philosophy, rethink that approach and let, maybe you can find a way to, 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 to do it better, to, to teach them better, for them to learn easier. Um, and so those are some things I think that, that could definitely help in that scenario in the parent versus club relationship. And, uh, and, and I, I want to get back to some of those later in the show, but uh, earlier this week, we started kind of going back and, and taking a look at some of our our early uh, efforts in this project. And it was through a project called soccer work. So before the Daniel Workman show be, ever began, this whole project began as an experiment, an idea. Could we do a daily short form podcast to talk about specific subjects uh, regarding soccer here in the U S and around the world? And um, so we settled on this idea of soccer works being a two minute podcast and kind of hitting one topic and only, you know, you can only do so much in, in, you know, 120 seconds. Um, But uh, we started going back and looking at some of those episodes and kind of digging deeper into the topics and and the thoughts behind those episodes, because uh, a lot of people have asked since we launched over a year ago with Soccer Works and now since the spring when we launched the Daniel Wortman show, um, you know, could you go deeper into that? Could you give some more context? Could you give some more ideas about behind this? And so we, we this week has started picking some times uh, to, to do that. And today we're going to do a little bit more of that. This is episode 11 of Soccer Works, uh, where we took a look at U.S. soccer coaching education. Welcome to Soccer Works with Daniel Workman, where we take a brief look at how soccer works in the U.S. and around the world. Three, 
On episode 11, we look at U.S. soccer coaching education. In a recent interview with Soccer America, Nico Romaine and Ryan Mooney discussed their philosophy, ideology, and opinions about U.S. soccer coaching education. There were several key takeaways from the interview. Number one, U.S. soccer views its coaching license program as a pyramid with limited access for coaches to reach the highest licenses the Federation has to offer. Number two, the Federation acknowledges a need for embracing diversity and inclusion, but their comments come across more as political correctness than an earnest desire to be purposely inclusive. Number three, U.S. soccer seems to be okay with locking out entire states from having pro, A, and B licensed coaches. Four, the Federation believes that a license determines the quality of the coach, not the actual competency or ability of that coach. And five, U.S. soccer is confident that they are doing it the right way, even though they acknowledge it's not the only way. After reading their comments, it is clear that the Federation runs their coaching program like so many of their programs, with a dangerous combination of arrogance and ignorance. It never seems to cross their minds that making the opportunity for more coaches to coach at the highest level will provide the opportunity for quality coaching to rise on the merit of their work rather than on a decree from the Federation. This exclusionary mindset is elitist and destructive and is literally keeping some of our brightest and best from reaching the top of our system. Thanks for listening. Learn more at W. So that was uh, Soccer Works episode 11. I, I remember when we did that uh, episode because uh, we got a lot of feedback uh, on, on those takes with regards to coaching education and you know if you've paid any attention on this show and uh, and, and we're following soccer works before we start this show um, y- you'll be familiar with something that we we talk about a lot which is the this combination of arrogance and ignorance from the federation there is this attitude that they know it all, that they that they know best, that their that their ideas are the best thing since sliced bread, um, and you should not challenge it because we, we know what we're doing. And yet, if you take a step back and you look at U.S. soccer as a whole, the U.S. women's national team is an anomaly. Everything else is mediocre at best, and. You can make the argument if you look at the U.S. women's national team that our success is not due to our U.S. Soccer Federation. They don't get the same level of support as the men's program gets. They don't get the same level of treatment as the the men's program gets. So it's not like we're giving them more resources uh, as as their male counterparts. There's two lawsuits over that right now. The reason why our our U.S. women's national team is where it is is because culturally, this country decades ago made female sports a higher priority than most countries around the world, and part of that is is Title IX. So the these young ladies growing up have an opportunity to go play in sports in college and continue their their playing career. And that alone has given the U.S. a leg up over the, the rest of the world when it comes to developing players um, and having an emphasis on female sports, um, not just male sports. And, and, and that has been really what has created our, our opportunity um, for the U.S. Women's National Team to be the powerhouse that it is. It's not because the Federation is is doing this. It, it, this is part of the culture at large. Um, and when we look at the rest of U.S. soccer with, with our coaching, coaching education, coaching licenses, when we look at player development, when we look at leagues, when we look at the men's national team, our youth national teams, there's no reason why the Federation should have a posture of arrogance and ignorance. Um, they should be trying to learn everything they can learn and they should be doing it with humility. Um, and, and typically what I come across is when you, when you meet people that have that sense of, you know, well, I know all of this and, and very defensive, uh, you know, have a quick trigger to, to, to kind of, 
jump on you if if they feel threatened, etc., is because usually those people are are covering up for something. They are, you know, trying to um, put off and you know this sense of of confidence, etc., that they don't really believe themselves and they don't want to be challenged. So they're, they're very insecure is a, is a probably a better word. And, um, and, and our Federation is that our Federation is led in, with a mentality of insecurity, but they want to try to create a sense of security. So they try to come across like they, they have it all together. They know what they're doing and they know best. And, um, and, and I, instead of trying to go with a mentality like that, what I would rather see our Federation have is a posture of humility, a posture of openness, a posture of inclusivity, um, a, a posture of, look, we don't know what's best for everybody. So what we, instead, what we'd rather do is, is have a, a mentality and mindset of opportunity and access, if you want to be a coach in this country and you want to, you want to, you want to get to the highest levels of coaching in, in, in terms of our licensed program, the pathway's open, come and get it. Um, having more coaches with better education over the long run is, going to help us develop and produce better soccer across this country rather than relying on kind of an, you know, this who, you know, type of gatekeeper system. If I'm in the good graces, if I've found a way to get into the DA program or an MLS Academy, I can get fast tracked or I can get into this program. No one else can get access to that's not helping us get better. This idea that we should run our coaching licensing program like whether or not you can get admitted into Harvard is is just absurd. Um, no one is beating the door down around the world. And this is what should tell you all you need to know. Coaches around the world are not coming to the United States to study coaching education. They're not coming to the United States to get a USSF pro license or a license because they believe it's going to help their career. The only time that they ever do that is if they're taking a job in the U S because U S soccer says you have to have this. That's it. You're not seeing young coaches from Spain, get on a plane and fly over to St. Louis or Chicago or Kansas city or Philadelphia or Miami, New York, LA and going, Hey, Teach us everything you got to know. We want to learn. We want to take your classes. We want to get your coaching education. That's not happening. Our coaches are going over there. Their coaches are not coming over here. So that should tell us everything we need to know. Gary Vaynerchuk often says this. Don't look at what I say. Watch what I do. And I think the same way actions always speak louder than words. The world is not coming here for a coaching licensing and coaching education. We keep looking to the world for inspiration. We keep looking to the world for coaching education. We keep looking to the world for licenses and how to get better. Even our federation continually does that every few years. When they get embarrassed, something doesn't go well, they'll say, hey, well, you know, now we're talking to the French federation about what they do. Now we're talking to the German federation. Now we're talking to the Spanish federation. Now we're talking to the English federation. Same broken record over and over again. So instead of having this combination of arrogance and ignorance and this posture of, of insecure, thin-skinned approach, we should open it up. Let the best talent rise. I look at it like a driver's license. Your coaching license should be like a driver's license. Go in, get your driver's license, then you can go to the next level. Maybe you get a CDL or commercial license. You can go in and get, you know, yeah, maybe it's a little bit higher test, whatever, but it's open. You can go in and take it. But that doesn't mean you're a great driver. 
It just means you got the license. You got the ability, the opportunity to drive. Now, what do you do with that? As a coach, what do you do with that, that license, that opportunity to drive? In this case, coach. Can I turn on some game film and watch a competent soccer team? And again, as I stated earlier, it doesn't matter what your philosophy is. Personally, me, if I'm coaching, I want to teach positional play. You may have a different philosophy. You may have a different mindset. You may want to to teach, you know, counterattack as your preferred method of play. Whatever your formation, whatever your philosophy, whatever your style, that's up to you. But can you execute it well? Do your do your teams know how to play? Can I turn on game film and see that your team knows what they're doing? Whatever that is. Your coaching license should give you the opportunity to test yourself, to perform. If you're not doing well, maybe you don't get a a job. Maybe you lose your job. But opportunity and access is should be the the mentality here. So if you want it, come and get it. Now, once you have it, what can you do with it? Yeah, you've got a B license. Maybe you got an A license. Maybe maybe now you got an, you got an A license. You you found a way and you got into into a college job and you get there, you you start running your program, and it's not going well. And and the AD says, you know what? It's just not the right fit. You got a shot. So this is not an excuse to just do whatever you want. It's not, it's not saying you get a license and now I can just go sit. No, you, you've got to work just like a driver's license. You get, you get a car, you got to drive it properly. You got to do it well. You keep going and, and running into a, a telephone pole. They're going to take your license away. You keep proving that you can't handle driving a car they're going to take the privilege of driving the car away. And that's how our coaching licenses should be. They shouldn't be exclusionary. It shouldn't be a pyramid and it shouldn't be the haves and the have nots. It shouldn't be a gatekeeper system. It should be open access. And then once you, once you get there or how you get a ne- your next job is to prove that you can do this job good. You could do it well. You could produce and develop good soccer players who know how to play the game, not just juggle a ball, not just dribble a ball. They know how to play the game. You would look at that kid and go, man, that kid is a soccer player. And I've got 15 of them. Now, they're not all on the same level. They they can't all do the same skills and the same things, but they all know how to play. That's your resume. That's how our system should be when it comes to coaching education. And when you don't have that in place, you create a scenario where where so many are locked out. States are locked out. Ethnicities are locked out. All across this country, this exclusionary system is having a detrimental effect on what we do and how we do it. And I think the Federation needs to completely change their mentality and the philosophy of being exclusionary. They need to get away from you know, being thin-skinned and insecure and and having this dangerous combination of arrogance and ignorance. And instead, I think they need to embrace, you know, a, a sense of inclusivity. They need to embrace uh, a posture of humility and openness uh, and, and an eagerness to learn and, and to say, hey, look, we, we just want to provide the pathway for as many coaches as possible. Come in, get your licenses. We're going to teach you, you know, how we think, you could do it and how you should do it, but you know, it's up to you. You go, you go and take advantage of your opportunities and work your way 
up the ladder in different different opportunities. So, um, I think that is you know to me that is that is something that with a federation where we're just way off. Um, and, and I, I think we could be better. I think we should be better. And, uh, you know, ultimately we've got to get, we've got to change this posture of exclusivity gatekeeper. We know better centralized control and no opportunity for everyone else. Speaking of that, uh, on uh, episode 15, we looked at the philosophy of Don Garber, and we are going to take another look at that philosophy right now. Welcome to Soccer Works with Daniel Workman, where we take a brief look at how soccer works in the U.S. and around the world. Three, two, one. On episode 15, we look at the philosophy of Don Garber. Don Garber recently made this statement. I do not only ask, I insist that all those people who are paid to work in the sport, whether that's an MLS employee, an MLS coach, or whether it's a coach for the U.S. national team, they align with a vision that has been established by the leaders in the sport. One of Garber's other guiding principles is every soccer dollar that does not go into Major League Soccer or Soccer United marketing is a lost dollar. To be fair, Don Garber is the commissioner of MLS and the CEO of Soccer United Marketing. It is his job to look out for the growth and well-being of those two companies. The problem with Don Garber's philosophy is he is also a board member of U.S. Soccer, and it appears he has influenced the Federation to unfairly benefit MLS and Soccer United Marketing. It is a clear conflict of interest when you have a chief executive officer of a private business that earns millions through a no-bid contract from the same nonprofit federation in which he is a board member. So when he makes these statements, everyone should pay attention. For over 20 years, U.S. soccer and MLS have been joined at the hip. As MLS has grown financially through Soccer United marketing, it seems more and more that the line between U.S. soccer and MLS gets more and more blurry. It is as if the two have become one. So the next time Don Garber not only asks, but insists, remember he's speaking to you wearing three hats. His priority doesn't seem to be a federation for all, but a federation that serves his interests. Thanks for listening. You can subscribe to the podcast at wrk.mn forward slash soccerworks. So that was episode 15 with the look at Don Garber, the philosophy of Don Garber. And it's important to know that that has still not changed in the time since. So um, in the last year, it's still what we talked about then is still alive today. Don Garber is the commissioner of Major League Soccer. He is the CEO of Soccer United Marketing, which is the uh, second company owned by the Major League Soccer owners and operators uh, that that markets uh, soccer for Major League Soccer. It, mar- it, it is the marketing arm and partner of the U.S. Soccer Federation, um, the Mexican Federation when it comes to advertising, marketing, and, and operations within the United States and other uh, partners like CONCACAF, for example. He is the CEO of that as well as being a board member of the U S soccer federation. And so when, when, when you have someone with that much power, that much access, that much control over the federation that is supposed to be governing the very company that he runs and the league that he oversees, both of those, you can see where there's a problem when he makes a statement, every dollar that goes into soccer, but that doesn't come to major league soccer. He sees as an issue And I get it when he's wearing the Major League Soccer and the Soccer United marketing hats. But when you are wearing the U.S. Soccer Board of Directors hat at the same time, I have a a major problem with that because of the way the Federation is governing soccer in this country. If our country 
was being operated in full FIFA compliance. Here's what that means. Sporting merit. So your entry and participation in a league is primarily based on your on-field performance. That means that in order to be considered good enough to play in a league, you ha- you will, will have to have won to get that opportunity. Now, there are other things that can be taken into consideration like financial, can you pay your bills? Can you pay your bills at the high, the next level up? Can you operate? Do you have a good enough stadium? All of those things get taken into consideration. And those things are taken into consideration around the world. Those, those things in and of themselves are not necessarily um, issues. It's part of creating a viable first league in Germany and Spain and France and England and every country around the world. But your acceptance, your application to get into the league is based on the fact that you just finished either first or one promotion playoff in one of the promotion playoff spots out of the championship. So if you look at this for, from England's perspective, if you're in the championship and you finish first or second, you, get, you automatically get promoted to the Premier League. If you finish third, fourth, fifth, or sixth, you get to go into a promotion playoff. And so if you're you know the winner of those 14 playoff and you get promoted, so you become one of the three that gets the opportunity to go up and play in the Premier League the next season... That was, your, that was your entry ticket. Now, do you have the financials in place? Do you have the stadium that's in place? And if not, do you have a plan to address those so that by the end of your first or second or third year or whatever the rules are, you are up to par? But your entry into the league is based on that. So that's sporting merit. We don't do it that way here. So because of that... Major League Soccer is sitting at the top. And the only way in is to beg Don Garber to take you. And that usually means that you got to come to the table with public funding for a stadium. So there is an entire real estate fleecing of America plan that Major League Soccer is operating with And the U.S. Soccer Federation is complicit in this plan to steal money from taxpayers and communities under threat of not getting a franchise. So when you hear these statements and you look at the system and you see the lack of FIFA compliance, that's why these statements become problematic. Not only are we not FIFA compliant in the area of sporting merit when it comes to the U.S. Soccer Federation, we're not in compliance with FIFA when it comes to training compensation, solidarity payments, and that has to do with youth player development and the rewards for developing good players. We're not in FIFA compliance in honoring FIFA calendar windows. Our first division should be taking breaks every time FIFA takes a break, and they don't. Now, that doesn't mean you have to play fall to spring, which they should. But it does mean they should be breaking every time FIFA has a break. And they don't. So, there are a lot of things, and these are just some of them, that U.S. soccer is not in compliance with. They have lied. They have told excuses. They have convinced people that the, that the story that they're telling is the truth when it's never been the truth. There is no law on the books that prohibits promotion and relegation and that and the Federation organizing a pyramid of clubs across the country at all levels. There's no law against that. They've just never done it because they didn't want to do it and so they lied. Straight up lied. So when you hear comments from Don Garber about every dollar should go through Major League Soccer, etc., 
you gotta you gotta look at what's really going on here. It's not a big deal if he was just the commissioner of Major League Soccer and just the commissioner or, or the CEO of Soccer United Marketing, and he had won a contract with the federation. But others were bid on it, and they went through a bidding process, and everything was on the up and up. But that's not the case. He's on the board of directors. He gets to award himself, even if he's not personally voting on it, every person in that room. If you've been on a board and, and, and you have somebody on the board who's, who has who got a business venture that that board needs to do business with that type of business, who do you think they're going to go do business with? So you may walk out of the room, but they're still going to vote to give it to you more times than not. And that's exactly what's happened here. He can say, well, I don't, I don't vote on those things when it comes to Soccer United Marketing. No, but you're in every other board meeting. And you're getting a no-bid contract that that, that no-bid contract has resulted in you getting double-digit million-dollar bonuses as CEO of Soccer United Marketing. Not Major League Soccer. CEO of Soccer United Marketing. You're getting double-digit million-dollar bonuses bonuses through no bid contract with the federation yeah there's issues there our sponsor this half hour is charity water you can learn more about charity water at charitywater.org they provide clean drinking water to people all over this country this was a, a look this segment at a couple more of our Previous episodes when we first started this this whole project under the title Soccer Works, we have plans for for a reboot of Soccer Works at some point in the future. And uh, when we get closer to a launch date and format, etc., we will share those details. But uh, just felt like there was there was some topics there we could go back and look at. And today we looked at a couple more. And um, you know, I, I think it was. It's always helpful to take a look back and, and also provide some more color and depth to those topics that you can't get in two minutes. So we'll be right back after this with Charity Water. No one, no man, no woman, no child should ever have to drink green water with bugs, with algae, with disease in it. water and a lack of toilets kills more people than all the wars in the world we know how to bring clean drinking water right now to every single person on earth and when you can bring water into communities it truly transforms them it changes everything now you could know that you'd made a difference you could know that you had truly impacted the lives of a family, of a community, of a region. There was either clean water or there wasn't. We believe in a world where every single person has clean and safe water to drink and we will continue fighting until that happens. show it is thursday october the 10th thanks for uh tuning in today we um we started off the show kind of picking up on yesterday's show looking at clubs and parents and that relationship and that that uh dynamic and uh and looking at kind of you know what what can be done to improve certain things and, and took a look at the example that, you know, clubs will often give that their training sessions are like a classroom and their coaches are um, playing the roles of teachers and looked at, you know, three ways that um, that whole mentality and philosophy, which personally I like uh, can be better. And, and so we looked at, 
you know, those, those three things being arming your parents with resources so they know how to support the development of their players and, uh, and based on, you know, your, your team and your club's philosophy. And uh, so giving them specific actionable details that they can operate off of. Secondly, is, is find a way for parents to, to be involved and not feel like they're just uh, stiff-armed and stay away, uh, stay in your car, go, go home, go away, but like find ways to build community. And then third, thirdly is if, if you're going to operate with that philosophy, make sure that you're actually teaching the game of soccer. Uh, not just individual skill training, not just working on you know new moves, but teaching them how to be a competent soccer player. So that when you when you go to watch, if you were to if you were to film a game, you would come away from that game going, yeah, maybe they messed up on a dribble, maybe they made a bad pass, but you could tell that they knew what they were trying to do, and and it looked like it was the right decision. Um. Teach the game, obviously arm the parent with resources. And the and the second one that we gave, um, which I want to take a second to kind of build on, is find a way for your parents to get involved, which leads me to this. The parent versus club dynamic. And we, had, we did a show a few weeks ago talking about uh, scholastic soccer versus club soccer. What could both learn from each other? There are generations of people that live in your community that still feel an attachment to a school. They'll go to a football game. They'll go watch their grandkids play. They will come out even when they don't have a relative on the team and they'll support that team. That is a a deep relationship. That is a lifelong relationship. Those same people live in your community of your club. Why are they not? coming to your matches why are they not cheering you on even when they don't have a family member on the team what is missing from club soccer my view is that what we're lacking in this country is a focus on building lifelong relationships In business, we look at an, an LTV, lifetime value of a customer. And for whatever reason, a few decades ago, club soccer in this country went all in on a very short transactional lifetime value of a customer. Our sole focus is to keep you happy keep you around as long as your child is playing for the club. If that's three years, if that's five years, if that's eight years, fine. When they're done, our relationship is over. It's built a multi-billion dollar industry. The CEO of U.S. Club Soccer, Kevin Payne, has estimated it's more than $5 billion a year. If that's the case, it's larger than the biggest professional league in Germany. We don't lack for resources. We don't lack for interest. We don't lack for investment. What we lack is the right system and the right philosophy. And when I talk about philosophy... I'm not talking about a philosophy of um, playing philosophy. That could vary everywhere. What I'm talking about is our philosophy of the relationships that we build. If we would shift our mindset to having a lifelong LTV customer relationship, with families that that it would be a generational relationship that a, a child as a player a teenager young adult maybe as a referee or as a coach and continuing on all through their life 
over the course of three, five, ten years, you could radically change the trajectory of your club. You could build community if you're intentional. One of the most harmful things that we do in American club soccer is treat families as transactional relationships. It's easy to do because parents in our system are the primary sources of revenue for a youth soccer club. I get it. But we need to work harder. We need to dig deeper. And we need to find ways to partner with these families, to get them involved, to make them feel valued. It's harder work, there's no doubt. But the rewards down the road are far greater than the nickels and dimes you can get right now. You can build a legacy that will outlast your life. I was reminded of this this summer when my family and I were in Europe and we, on one of the, the days of the trip, we, we, we were in Liverpool for about 24 hours and we did a stadium tour of Anfield. Now, if you don't know the story of Liverpool and Everton, it's a pretty cool story. The same guy founded both clubs. You can stand in the stadium at Anfield, Liverpool Stadium, and a mile away, a mile away, you can see Everton Stadium. It's right there. You feel like you can reach out and touch it. When you study the history of the two clubs, you'll realize that Everton was founded first. And after a squabble with the board and disagreements, the founder of the club was kicked out and he decided to start another club, which became Liverpool. You look at the legacy of that guy It still lives to this day. Both clubs in the Premier League. It's an incredible legacy. If he had just gone around treating the community, treating players, treating everyone involved as just merely transactional relationships, what can I get from me, 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 right now, 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 now? I promise you, you certainly wouldn't be seeing both of these clubs in the Premier League, and you likely wouldn't be seeing either. But he built a legacy that lasts. Anfield was the original home of the Everton Football Club. They moved out the grounds wherever where Anfield is today. And and now, obviously, that's the home of, of Liverpool. And now you have Goodison Park where, where Everton play just a mile away. And it's an incredible story. You can walk. We did. We walked from stadium to stadium. It, it was just such a cool experience. That's the legacy that you could build in this country, in your community, where generations show up to your matches where people without kids in your program feel part of your program. It's an opportunity worth taking. It's, a, it's, a, it's an opportunity I wish more would take because our country would be better off for it. And your community would be stronger as well. It's, it's there for the taking if you're willing to roll up your sleeves and get it done. 
And I hope you will. I hope you will. There are a lot of things that these families could bring to the table. You've got lawyers. You've got all kinds of professionals. You've got workers. You've got you, you just you you probably don't even know the amount of resources and potential at your fingertips right now. But because you're keeping them an arm's length away and in, in, in a very shallow transactional relationship, you're not even tapping into it. But just a fraction of what your club could attain with the right relationships that last a lifetime. Thanks for watching today. You can watch always at facebook.com forward slash WRKMN or at danielworkman.com. Catch me on Twitter or Instagram at Daniel Workman. We'll see everybody again tomorrow.